you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the fourth chapter of Luke. The fourth chapter of Luke. Father, in the name of Jesus, again, how grateful we are to be here today. We are thankful, Lord, for your promises, thankful for your word. Lord, we believe that you are the one that we can trust. You are the one that we can place our lives in, that you are the rock on which we stand. And so, Lord, we place our lives in your hand. I know that there may be heavy hearts in this room today that may not understand, but I pray in Jesus' name that they would find peace, that they would find joy in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the uncertainty, and may revival be a part of our hearts and our minds, and we thank you. And now, Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray. Open up our spirits, open up our hearts that we might hear, that we might understand, that we might comprehend. The Lord, you might be glorified above all things and that our life might please you. And we give you all the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, everybody says, Amen. I'm going to read a familiar story uh, to you here this morning in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give unto thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will, I give it, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone." And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. The message I want to share with you this morning, I've entitled The Showdown in the Desert. The Showdown in the Desert. Sounds like a Western, doesn't it? We should have all wore our boots with spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle. You don't have any spurs, but Ryan's got his boots on. Amen. So we know that the temptation of Christ is a very popular story in Scripture. The one that we probably most recognize is found in Matthew. It's also found in Mark. Now, this past Wednesday was the beginning of Lent. Uh, Lent is the uh, typically uh, meant to commemorate... Uh, the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted by the devil and, uh, uh, that we read here in this passage. So the beginning of Lent is, is the beginning of preparation for Easter season. And so doing uh, Lent begins with the temptation of Christ and the fact that, that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of what he did. This is the beginning of redemption. This is the beginning of the plan of God and his preparation for that. And so I don't we as a church don't necessarily officially celebrate Lent, but maybe many of you do recognize uh, what this season means and, and what, it, what we do to, to follow that season. Uh, and most of the people during this time will uh, celebrate Lent or uh, commemorate Lent through prayer, through fasting, through repentance, through the giving of money, alms, they might say, simple living, self-denial. And so as we turn our attention to the Easter season, I wanted to take a look at Christ's temptation and the significance of this powerful event. You know, we talk a lot about Christmas. We build up to to Christmas and all of the celebration of that. And and the world does not obviously uh, celebrate Easter like it does Christmas. It's not as much of a moneymaker as Christmas is, right? We don't buy as many gifts. We don't go out and do as many things. But I believe, obviously, to us as Christians... Uh, Easter is one of the most important uh, times, one of the most important moments on the calendar. And so I believe more than ever, we should be people who are preparing our hearts to remember and to celebrate the glory of God. Now, I think most of us all would admit in here today that you've been tempted at some point in time in your life. How many of you admit to that? You've been been tempted, right? Some of you were tempted this morning on the way to church. 
Um, some of you, like this morning, I had all kinds of problems with keys. Uh, I, I am, I'm the king of that, right? Uh, in order to get my car started, I had to pop the, uh, the key out because the fob's not working correctly. Um, and so there's always something that wants to frustrate you, right? How many have ever used that saying? It's always something. It's always something, right? I preached a sermon on that, actually. It's always something because it is always something. It's not always nothing. It's got to be something, right? It's always something. But all of us would admit we've been tempted, and, and I'll admit that probably what tempts you may, might not always be an issue for me, and what tempts me may not always be an issue for you. But we all have things that tempt us to sin. Now, we know that temptation itself is not sin because all of us are going to be faced with that. As long as we are in the flesh, as long as there is a devil that wants us dead... There's always going to be some type of temptation drawing us away. But when we give in to temptation, then it leads to sin. And the wages of sin is death. Temptation is not sin, but it's one of Satan's most powerful weapons that leads us to destruction. We cannot downplay the damaging effects of sin. The problem many times in our lives is that we think that judgment that's been delayed means that no judgment is coming. We don't think that because what we, have, we may have planted some certain seeds, we think that we've moved on, but eventually seed, that seed will reap a harvest. And so we may not recognize it right now, but when we plant seeds of flesh, when we plant seeds of sin, eventually we will reap a harvest. And so we need to recognize the power of sin. So I looked up what the biggest temptations were. I got online and just looked up what... Some people list as the biggest temptations, and there were all kinds of different lists, different opinions, probably as many as there are people. But I found some of them interesting. And so I want you to listen to some of the top temptations and see if any of these fit your life. And don't, you know, don't get all upset or, or you know, I'm not condemning you. I'm not pointing a finger at you, so don't point the finger at the person beside you because you know this is their temptation, Right? The number one temptation that I saw on most lists was giving in to anxiety or worry. Giving in to anxiety or worry. Lots of times we don't think of that as a temptation because we always, we don't think of anxiety and worry as sin. Right? Right? Number two, procrastination. (laughs) Well, I got to go. Procrastination. Uh, so those two were the first two, and then number three was sexual sins. I find that I find that very interesting. That the, that the first two that people seem to be tempted the most with have more to do um, with time and worry, sexual sins, overeating. I mean, we try to make sure we do that on Wednesdays. Hallelujah. Overusing electronics and social media. Some of you right now are putting your phone down because you thought I saw you. Bunch of sinners. It's like back during the, it's like back during the uh, fantasy football. I'd be up here preaching sermon and seeing trades taking place on my phone while the sermon was going on. <laughs> Uh, another temptation is laziness. The next one that was listed was lust, which obviously that goes with sexual sin, but lust, uh, obviously you can lust after a lot of things. Pride was another one. Money or material things. I find that kind of interesting that that was on the bottom of a lot of the list, money or material things. Uh, but we all know that that is a temptation of ours, Right? How many of you have got Amazon Prime? How many of you got Amazon Prime? How many of you have got something on your porch about every other day? About every other day. How many of you sometimes open your door and forgot what you ordered? What in the world is that? Right. Money or material things. So some of these things may not resonate with you and others, others may. And maybe you can think of some other stuff that might be on that list because every single one of us have to deal uh, with these kind of temptations in our life. We, we recognize that there's always going to be something that comes along that the devil is going to use to excite our flesh, to pull us away from the things of God. We know that 
that temptations basically are distractions. They are spiritual distractions meant to get your mind and your focus off Jesus and on something else, right? The devil is banking on us having spiritual ADHD, right? Well, we cannot focus and pay attention and and see what's going on, right? Those of you who are, are teachers or you've taught or you've preached or whatever, you, you've, you, know, you know the stare that you're getting when somebody's not hearing a single word that you're saying. Of course, if you're a parent, you know that stare, don't you, right? You know that stare when you're giving that speech and that kid's looking at you, and as far as they're concerned, you sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Right? The enemy wants us to be those kind of people that can't focus. We can't stay on task. We're, we've got our eyes on Jesus, and then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, something shiny. Right? That's why it's enticing. It's allures. Temptation is allure. It's like you're, you're fishing. Right? Isn't it crazy what fish will bite on? Have you seen some of the lures that you can throw in the water? I'm like, are the fish that dumb? Just swimming along, minding their own business. Oh, look, something shiny. Right? That is why sin is like, that temptation is like a lure. It's something shiny that tries to get our attention. It rattles. It makes a certain noise. It's trying to get us off our focus on Christ and what he's called us to do. They're meant to distract us from our pursuit of God, from our pursuit of holiness, from our pursuit of God's purposes for us. Temptations are meant to bind us, trap us, and eventually enslave us. Sometimes they can start out as something good. But even what is good can lead to overindulgence, to idolatry, to the consistent pursuit of self-satisfaction. And this is when it brings damage to our souls. So we all have to recognize that even the blessings that God places in our lives can end up leading us in places that we don't want to go. Right? Remember, you all know the story of the Israelites complaining in the wilderness. And as they're complaining in the wilderness, serpents are sent among them and they, they, start, bite, they start biting the people and they're dying. And, and God tells Moses to put a, put a brazen serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole. And everybody that looks upon that bronze serpent will be healed. Obviously, Jesus makes reference to that brazen serpent in John chapter 3 when he says, Just as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And if he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. Right? But what happens later in the book of Numbers? The Israelites start worshiping the brazen serpent. The Israelites actually started worshiping the blessing. And many times what happens is that when God starts moving in our lives, we get blessed. And the next thing you know, we're more concerned about what we have than we, want, than we are about the one who gave us what we have. Easter is a celebration of Jesus paying the price for our sins. It's a celebration of redemption. And so during the, the Lent season, we spend a certain amount of time turning our focus towards the cross in repentance, in bearing our hearts before God. And so as we prepare for the seasons, our hearts should reflect on the awful reality of sin, the power of temptation that's consistently dogging us. We should take the time to see what is distracting our hearts. What is keeping us from growing, from pursuing, from surrendering? And recognize the spiritual warfare that is raging for our hearts and minds. Because make no mistake about it, there is a devil, there is an enemy who hates your guts... And you have to recognize the reality that every day is a war. As we read this story in Luke chapter 4, we know that the beginning of Jesus' ministry begins with a surrender. It begins with a dedication and a commitment to the plan and the purpose of God. John the Baptist came preaching a sermon, prepare the way for the Lord, right? Prepare a way for the Messiah. So John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah preaching Prepare the way for the Messiah. So Jesus himself is baptized. Why? That he might fulfill all righteousness. That he might fulfill the purpose of God for his life. So Jesus starts his ministry by committing himself and dedicating himself to the call and the purpose that God has placed upon his life. And this baptism obviously was marked by the descending of the Holy Spirit upon our lives 
and like uh, the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Obviously, it was a powerful moment to prepare Jesus for what he was about to do. But before Jesus launches a worldwide ministry, right? Here's Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit falling like a dove, the voice of God being audibly heard. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But before Jesus gets up and preaches a sermon, or before Jesus gets up and passes the offering tray, or before Jesus gets up and has everybody sign up for his ministry newsletter, the first thing that Jesus does is go to war. The first thing that he does is go to war. The one who would take our sin on the cross must first be tempted with that same sin. Coming from a powerful place of experience with the Spirit and the very voice of God, he's now faced with a showdown with the devil himself. Always remember this, church. Some of the greatest battles will take place right after our greatest experiences with God. Right after those moments where God seems to touch us and bless us, that's when the devil wants to blindside us. Just when we think we are in the place of victory and we are shouting and yelling and thanking God, that's when the enemy has been planning and scheming. Jesus comes out. How many of you know that would have been a pretty powerful experience? If you were standing here on a Sunday morning worshiping God and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell like a dove and you heard the voice of God saying, I am well pleased with you, how many of you would say that's a good Sunday? Right? Probably your best church service ever. You want to rip up that piece of carpet and carry it around with you because he's like, at this very spot is where God spoke to me, is where I saw the Holy Spirit fall, right? But all of us know that we have to leave this building. All of us know that we have to leave that experience at some point in time. We have to move, right? And so we have to leave here to the battlefield. The battlefield of temptation, the battlefield of deception, the battlefield of the enemy. And so Jesus comes out of this most powerful moment. Recognize, folks, recognize that when we are blessed, that does not mean we let our guard down. Right? Our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Right? So there's a consistent resistance that has to take place. But two things I want us to see. First, before we look at how Christ overcame temptation and how this shows us the way to victory in our own lives. First, the beginning of Jesus' ministry starts just the same way as the human story began in the garden with temptation. We know the story of Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden. They walked with God. They had a relationship with God. They were in connection with God. Their entire life was defined by the presence of God. But the enemy shows up. The devil shows up. When did he show up? Right after God had blessed Adam and Eve. Right after God had commissioned Adam and Eve. Right after God had spoken his purpose over Adam and Eve's life. The devil shows up to distract them. To distort the truth. And so we recognize that Jesus' temptation... Jesus begins his ministry the exact same way that the story of our lives starts with temptation. The genealogy of Christ in Luke chapter 3 traces back and ends. If you look at the end of chapter 3, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. The genealogy of Christ in Luke is traced all the way back to Adam. Why? Because Jesus is the second Adam. He came to reverse everything that the first Adam messed up. So when we see Jesus going into the desert to be tempted, just as the first humans were tempted on planet Earth, just as his genealogy is traced all the way back to the first Adam, Jesus becomes the second Adam that he might reverse the curse that was brought upon mankind because of the failure of the first Adam. Secondly, Jesus is in the desert for 40 days. What's that point us to, obviously? That draws us back to the Israelites and they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. It's almost as though the temptation of Jesus is meant to be a redo of the failure of the Jewish people in turning away from God in unbelief from the promised land. Jesus passing the test 
shows us that his commitment to the mission of God and leading us to the promised land would never fail. That even though the Israelites under the leadership of Moses had rejected the promise of God and in unbelief wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus for 40 days stood against the temptation of the devil and because that opened up a way for everyone to enter into the promises that God has for our lives. In Jesus Christ, everything that was fallen and broken and sinful has now been made right by the blood of Jesus Christ because he is the victor. I always remember that it's what Jesus did in the desert that allows redemption to even be possible. What Jesus did in the desert gives power and credence to the cross. If Jesus does not live sinless, then he's an ordinary man going to the cross. But because he was victorious in the desert, he's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, the sinless, spotless Lamb who could take the sin of the world upon his life. The war that Jesus won in the desert is what made the war at the cross even possible. Jesus came to fix what had been broken by the first Adam and the people of the old covenant. Church, he came to rewrite the story for us, to bring to us a better covenant based on better promises, guaranteed by the one who did not fail and did not succumb to temptation. The one who did not sin and defeated the devil and the evil ones, whose purpose since the garden has been to destroy those made in the image of God. And as we read the story of temptation, we can remember that Jesus' victory over the devil in the wilderness and ultimately at the cross and the resurrection is our victory. That his victory is our victory. That yes, we can live victoriously over temptation. That yes, we can say no to sin. That yes, we can walk in holiness and purity to the glory of God. So what was Satan's attack plan here? There's two things I want to point out about Satan's attack plan. Number one, He tried to take advantage of Jesus' human weakness. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and was completely depleted. I don't know if any of you in here have fasted for 40 days. If you say that you've fasted for 40 days, I'm going to need medical evidence. I've never fasted for 40 days. I have fasted. I have fasted many times. I don't like fasting. I hate fasting. Fasting stinks. I'm not going to stand up here and say, I celebrate fasting. I don't. Don't like it at all. But I fast. Fast sometimes. And we probably need to fast. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But Jesus had fasted 40 days. He's completely depleted. It was at this point that the devil shows up to offer him what I'm sure he wouldn't mind having. Food. But not only was he hungry, he was tired. Not only was he tired, he was alone. He didn't have anyone there to help him. Didn't have anybody to lean on. Didn't have anybody that he could, that he could uh, talk to and walk him through and help him carry his emotional baggage. He didn't have Facebook to post something on there for everybody to like and make him feel better about himself. Right? I'm going to be honest with you. If we, if some of us, if we would have been in the desert fasting for 40 days, there would have been multiple pictures on Facebook. Look at me, fasting for the Lord. (laughs) See, (laughs) the enemy likes to get us off by ourselves when we are weak, when we are tired, when we are hungry. He likes to get us off by ourselves when we are the most vulnerable to tempt us and trap us. And honestly, folks, we can easily justify ourselves when we're in this condition. Jesus could have easily justified listening to what the devil had to say. Wouldn't he? It's bread. You weep many times. It's easy for us to justify giving in to the temptation when we are in our our weakest place, when we are the most vulnerable, when we are alone and nobody else sees what's going on. It's easy to say yes to the temptation then. Most of us are not going to sin standing on the stage, are you? Most of us aren't. Some of you don't care. But most of us aren't going to sin standing on the stage. We're probably not even going to sin in the pew. 
right? Maybe in the basement, but not in the pew. Right? We're going to sin. We're going to give in to the temptation when nobody sees, when nobody's keeping track, when nobody's standing over us. Right? Y'all know you've had, you ever walked in and you know your kid's done something wrong even when you didn't see that they'd done something wrong? That look in their eyes, that immediate denial, what'd you do? Nothing. He tried to take, so Satan's plan of attack, and, and, and this is the same way he will attack us. He tried to take advantage of the weakness of Jesus, his human weakness. And in number two, the devil used the tool of craftiness. See, the Bible tells us that the devil is a liar, which means he is a deceiver. Everything he does is meant to deceive. He's very crafty in the fact that, that he's trying to trick and trap Jesus. He even quotes the Bible to let Jesus know that, hey, you can go ahead and do this, right? So he uses deception. He uses craftiness to trap us. He came to Jesus in three different ways that we know the story of. James refers to them as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see all of those in these temptations. We recognize that as he did that, he was coming to tempt Jesus with something that he wasn't meant to have. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating bread, right? There's nothing wrong with getting something to eat. But at this time, Jesus was preparing himself. Jesus was committing himself. Jesus was dedicating himself. Jesus was focusing himself on God and God alone. So there may be times in our lives where things might look good, but if we don't watch ourselves, we end up going after things that we are not meant to have. We end up going after things that we were not meant to have. He not only tempted Jesus with things that he wasn't meant to have, but with someone he wasn't meant to be. He offered him to be the king of the world. Now, I want you to notice something here. The enemy says, I've got the power to give you this stuff. Let's, let's recognize, folks, that, that the enemy is the god of this world. He is the god of this world system. And so it should not shock us that our culture makes weird Goofy decisions. We, might, we shouldn't be surprised that sin is rampant in our culture and in our society. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of those in the world. So the enemy offers him something that he was not meant to be. Jesus, you could be the king of the world. You can be the king of everything. You can have all the stuff. You can be the king of the world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me, right? He was tempted with something he wasn't meant to have. He was tempted with someone he wasn't meant to be. And he was tempted with things he wasn't meant to do. He was tempted with things he was not meant to do. Bow down. Eat this bread. Throw yourself off the temple. He was tempted with things he was not meant to do. Now, obviously, this is the one that... Probably we focus in on the most, but we do have to recognize that what we do matters. That what we do matters. Doing doesn't save us. Doing doesn't make us right with God. We're not saved by our actions or by our works. But if we are saved, it should come out in how we live. So the enemy is always tempting us with what we should not do. Whatever that temptation may be, whatever that fleshly desire may be, whatever that sin, that addiction, whether it's illicit sex, whether it's lust, whether it's pride, whether it's not being able to control our anger or our mouths, whether it's our, the way we think, whether it's how we act around those that are looking at us and wondering, what does a Christian look like? He was tempted with those things which he was not meant to. To do. I know that in the culture that we live in, many times sin is praised, sin is laughed at, it's a joke, right? It, 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 we're, supposed to, we're supposed to laugh at the fact that, that people live crazy and they, 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 they act crazy and they sleep around and they jump from bar to bar and they, man, it was so funny how drunk I was and we all laugh at these things, right? And don't get me wrong, drunk people can be funny. 
But most of the time, drunk people just get on my nerves. No, no offense. If you've been drunk, you get on my nerves. But we all many times make light of sin, right? I've even heard people tell their testimonies about their past like they miss it. <laughs> you're standing up talking about how Jesus saved you, but you're talking about your past like, man, I wish I was still there. Maybe you haven't experienced Jesus, right? The devil uses the same tools in his arsenal for us. He tempts us with what we weren't meant to have, with someone we're not meant to be, with things we aren't meant to do. And then finally, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see as we are talking about Easter and how how we overcome, how did Jesus overcome the enemy in the desert? We recognize many of these things as we read the passage of Scripture. Many of these you've already heard, but I want to encourage you and and get you to focus your attention on the fact that, that, folks, every day of our life, as we walk by faith and not by sight, there's going to be an enemy that's trying to distract us and pull us away from the things of God. And as the world downplays sin, it makes temptation look that much cooler. Right? Because most of us don't give in to temptation... Uh, when we hate the temptation, right? The, the temptation is only a, a temptation because we like it. There's some of you in here that if I were to set out a plate of broccoli, you would not be tempted. As a matter of fact, you would try to exercise the broccoli. You vile weed, right? How many of you would run in horror from the broccoli, Right? But if I lay out a plate of chocolate chip cookies, then all of a sudden, the altar is open. (laughs) We recognize that temptation is only a temptation because the enemy paints such a beautiful picture. Jesus, you just need some bread, man. You're hungry. Look at this bread. It just came out of the oven. Bread. How many of you like bread? Bread with some butter, bread with some apple butter, bread with peanut butter, bread. Right? It's just bread, Jesus. Get some bread, bro. Jesus, throw yourself off the temple and you can show everybody that God's word is true because the angels will catch you. You can show everybody who you really are. Just jump off the temple. Right? Jesus, you can have everything. You can have it all, Jesus. Just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the money. I'll give you all the fame. I'll give you all the women. I'll give you all the. I'll give you anything you want. The cars, the homes, the cash. I'll give it all to you, Jesus. You just got to kneel down and worship me. And then Jesus broke out a fiddle and, and beat the devil. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happened. How did? How did Jesus overcome? The showdown in the desert. Number one, he was full of the Spirit. I find it very interesting that in verse 1 it says, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Judah, Jordan, and was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He was not led into the fields of flowers. He was not led to the, the stage for everybody to see and clap and cheer and, 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 and notice him. He was led by the Spirit into the battle, into the very teeth of the enemy. Led by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 15, or verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Everything that Jesus did in his life was bookended and surrounded by the Holy Spirit. He learned how to rely on the presence of God. He learned how to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that Jesus is God. He is God in flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But the humanity side of Jesus had to learn to trust the leading and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit just like we have. The Bible tells us that Jesus actually learned obedience through the things which he suffered, right? He learned how to obey God by the things that he went through. 
How did he learn to obey God? He learned to walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not do what? Fulfill the lusts of the flesh. How do you overcome sin? You walk in the Spirit. How do you overcome temptation? You walk in the Spirit. How do you overcome the lies of the devil? You fill yourself with the Spirit. You learn to be a spiritual person who learns to hear the voice of the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit, and walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So let's remember that the humanity of Christ overcame the temptation of the devil in the desert, not because he was able to use his divine power, but because he learned to submit himself to the working of the Holy Spirit in his life. Folks, this is the definition of Christianity is that our lives are led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit. And when we learn to be Spirit people, then we learn to live victorious lives. The fruit of the Spirit is is manifested in our lives as we learn to commit our hearts to the Spirit in every area of our lives. So how did Jesus overcome? He overcome because He was full of the Spirit. Sometimes when the enemy comes whispering in your ear, you need to start whispering at the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Sometimes you need to start praying in spirit. Some of you just need to confuse the devil by worshiping. Right? Focusing your attention on the work of the Spirit, the move of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, let me hear your voice because this dum-dum is telling me to sin. Right? Number two, he denied self. How did he overcome temptation? He denied self. We, we can't get around the fact that Jesus was in this temptation, in this battle, because he was fasting. Right? All, all part of the temptation was wrapped around his obedience to deny self. Now, obviously, he was able to deny self because, number one, was still working in his life. He was walking in the Spirit. He was relying on the Spirit. He was counting on the power of the Spirit. He was fulfilling the desires of the Spirit instead of the desires of his flesh. Now, again, as I've said, I've never fasted for 40 days. Um, some of you may have, been, have fasted for a long period of time, uh, and you know the effects that it can have on your body. There was a book written by Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline that actually goes through the steps that your body goes through if you go on a 40-day fast. Um, and it talks about how the first three days are normally the hardest, especially if you've not eaten well before you go on the fast. You should actually prepare yourself before you go on a fast. It's not good to eat three Big Macs and then go on a fast. Right? Because the first three days many times will be the hardest. Some of you are like, three days? I'm at three hours right now. And I feel holy already. After three days, within the first three days, that's when you have your headaches. That's when you, that's when you have stomach aches. That's when you feel like you're about, you want to die. And the reason why is because your body's getting rid of all the toxins from all the other trash that you've been eating up to this point in time. Right? But once you get past those three days, then all of a sudden it starts becoming easier. And for a matter of fact, now this is according to Richard Foster because I've, I've never gone this long, but once you get to eight or nine days, you feel like you can go on forever. You're not even hungry. You don't even have a desire for food. For a matter of fact, you start having a sweet taste in your mouth because your body has detoxified itself. Now, I've never been there, but maybe I'll try it. But as you go through this process, and according to Richard Foster, by the time you reach day 21, hallelujah, By the time you reach day 21, anywhere between day 21 and day 40, your hunger pains return. And when they do, you should break your fast, because if not, your body will start feeding on your muscles. And so there is an actual process that we go through. So what, how Jesus prepared him for this fast, I I don't know. And I'm sure when he came out of this fast, he had to prepare himself on what he ate. So I want to encourage all of you, fast. Take time to fast. And I, and I know that we can fast social media, TV. We can, we can fast different things, and that's fine. We can fast sweet tea or pop or coffee or candy or sweets or whatever it is that you might want to fast. But I encourage you to fast. And I encourage you that if you're going to go on a full food da- fast, that you do prepare yourself. 
that you prepare yourself by eating something that is reasonable for a few days before you go on a fast. And that when you come off the fast, that you don't eat like a ravenous wolf. Right? You have to be smart. We went on a Daniel fast when I was at World Harvest Church. I fasted all meats for, for 21 days. When we came off that fast, we went to Fuddruckers and I ate a hamburger. That is not smart. I had to leave work the next day because I could not stay out of the bathroom. Those, that's just good advice. Just giving you some advice. So I encourage you to fast. Why do we fast? Are we fasting to be so we can get God's attention? Are we fasting so that we look more religious? Are we fasting so that we can say we're more spiritual? For a matter of fact, people shouldn't even know that you're fasting. We fast because we are learning to keep our flesh in line with the move of the Spirit. Because we are learning to keep our flesh in line with the purpose and the will of God for our lives. We are aligning ourselves with God by denying ourselves. Folks, we cannot get away from the reality that Jesus says, If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We have to recognize that we're not going to overcome temptation if we don't get a handle on the flesh. If we don't get a handle on the flesh. There are some of us in here that are fully and totally committed to our exercise routine. We won't miss a day. We won't miss the steps that we're going through. And I applaud you for that because honestly, that is a part of keeping your flesh under control. But sometimes when it comes to sin, when it comes to fasting, when it comes to our obedience to God, it's easy for us to let things slip. Because our exercise routine has become that good thing that has now become a God that is now in the way of us pursuing holiness. We have to recognize that if we're going to overcome, if we're going to defeat temptation, we have to deny self. Number three was full of the word. And we know this one, right? What was Jesus' answer to every single temptation that the devil came? It is written. Even when the devil distorted the truth, distorted the word of God, tried to trick Jesus and trap him into doing something he was not meant to do, Jesus was still able to quote him the word of God. That's because Jesus didn't just know the word, but he had discernment on how to use the word. Jesus didn't just sling out coffee cup phrases at the devil, right? He didn't just allow the enemy to come along and distort what God has said. Again, go back to the garden. This is is Jesus fulfilling and destroying. This is Jesus putting his foot on the head of the devil. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the Bible says that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Here's Jesus starting to bruise the head of the enemy. Remember back in the garden, what did the devil say? Has not God said? The devil distorted the word of God to trick Eve and Adam into rebelling rebelling against God's purpose for their lives. Has not God said? Folks, our culture is consistently twisting and distorting Scripture to redefine what sin is, to redefine who God is, to redefine what it means to be saved, or what it even means to be a Christian. Our culture is saying, has not God said? God is love, and love wins. And because love wins, we're all floating on marshmallow clouds to heaven. And it doesn't matter how you live or what you believe, as long as you're kind and sweet, and as long as you step in line with the narrative... The enemy is always going to distort what the Word says. That's why we can't just be full of Bible verses. We have to be full of discernment. We have to take the Word and apply it to our lives. We have to take the Word and live out what the Word of God says. We have to take the Word and use it as a weapon against the enemy in our lives. He's going to whisper deceptions. The only thing that overcomes deception is truth. How did Jesus overcome? It is written. We must stand upon the word of God. And number four, 
How did Jesus overcome? He did not trade the eternal for the temporary. He didn't trade the eternal for the temporary. This was a moment in time for Jesus. This was a fork in the road. And as Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Some of y'all don't even get that. Some of you are still confused. He, didn't, he came to a fork in the road. Jesus has come to a point right now where he has to make a decision. At this moment in time, which way will I go? Will I give in to the temptations of my flesh, the temptations of the enemy? Will I give in and satisfy my own selfish desires? Or will I stay committed and dedicated to the purpose of God? And this is every temptation is a fork in the road. And every temptation is a moment where we can either choose the temporary or the eternal. We choose the temporary or the eternal. I remember I preached a sermon years ago that was entitled, I Hope the Soup Was Good. And it was the story of Esau and Jacob. Esau sold his birthright. Everything that was his as the firstborn son, everything that put him in lineage with the purpose and plan of God for the family of God, Esau sold it because he was hungry for soup. I hope the soup was good. And that's what the enemy likes to do. Here is the temporary thing that you can have, and it's going to be good. It's going to taste good, it's going to feel good, and it's going to satisfy you for the moment. For the temporary moment. And this is all sin ever does. It satisfies you for the temporary moment. We give in. And honestly, folks, this is one of the signs of immaturity. Right? Children are the ones who don't know how to put things off. Because we know if I put it off, it's better if I put it off. Right? Than it is for me to have it right now. We know that if we're going to invest money, it's better to keep it in there, right? It needs to grow and go up and down. It has to go through. If we're constantly taking our money out of our investment, it's never going to grow, right? But this is what sin does. I can offer you temporary things. I can give you temporary pleasure. In this temporary moment, how many one-time decisions has put people in horrible places. One-time decisions. I'll just go to this one party. I'll just, I'll just go to this one place one time. I'll just hang out with this person just this one time. I will just give in to this sexual sin just this one time. Where does it lead? Where does it go? Where does it take us? Jesus told the rich young ruler, one thing you lack. Not a hundred. Not five. One thing you lack. One. For David, it was one look because he was in a place he should not be. We all recognize that, that some of our life is, is based upon many, of the, many multiple and thousands of decisions that we're making. But we can all probably look back over our life and recognize there's been just those one decisions that put us in places that we wish we were never was. If we remember that there's something eternal waiting, that the purpose of God has eternity stamped on it, whereas sin is only going to satisfy us for a moment and may very well destroy us if we give in. These light afflictions, the Bible says, are but for a moment, right? But my eyes are set upon that moment that never changes, that God who is eternal, who always was and always will be, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't trade the eternal for temporary things. Don't trade the spiritual blessings of God that maybe we don't always feel for that one moment of sin, that one moment of satisfaction, that one moment of surrendering to our flesh. We know that life is full of temptations, distractions, obstacles, Roadblocks, potholes on the road of obedience. The enemy wants to paint a different picture. 
to tell a different story than the one that God has for us. But the Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. We know his devices. We recognize that we are at war, that we are in a battle, that every day is a showdown. A choice to say yes to the forbidden fruit or to be satisfied with God's presence. The choice to wander in the desert or the wilderness of sin or enter into the promises that God has for us. We have this showdown every day. But temptation does not have to overtake us. And so as we prepare our hearts during Lent, I challenge you to turn your focus towards the Easter season, turn your focus towards the cross and what it means. Let us be conscious of the temptations that are meant to lead us away and turn our hearts again to the one who has conquered sin. Let's pursue holiness by warring against temptation for the glory of God. Let's pursue the purpose of God by saying no to the temporary and gripping a hold of the eternal. We are grateful for the cross. We are grateful for the resurrection. But may, us, may it always remind us of the war for our souls. May it always remind us of the seriousness of sin, the lies of temptation, the fact that the war is waging. So open our hearts, open your minds during this season as we prepare and look towards the cross. Remember what Christ did, the price that he paid, and in so doing, recognize the power of God to overcome temptation for his glory. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, we are eternally grateful. Grateful for your promises, grateful for your truth. Grateful, Lord, for your word. Grateful, Lord, that we don't have to be defeated, that we don't have to to live under the foot of the devil, that we don't have to listen to the lies of the devil. We are grateful, O God, that you are faithful, that you are true to your word, that you never let us down. And so this morning, God, may our hearts be fully and totally committed to you. I ask, God, that you would challenge us and that you would convict us, that every dark place, every sinful place, every temptation, Lord, that we've been courting, that we've been loving, that we've been keeping a hold of, Lord, shake us to the core of our hearts. Show us, O oh God, every dark place. Open our eyes to every lie of the devil and help us get on track to follow you. In Jesus' name.